Good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. I'm so glad it's that season where we can say that, right? Uh, all right, take out your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. It's where we're going to be as we begin this series uh, here this morning. And, uh, but while you're turning there, let me mention a couple of things. One is uh, thank you to all of you who responded to the call on the forward campaign to give like as early as possible. Some of you were able to give it like now. That helps us out because when we're moving toward construction, there's like a quarter of a million dollars worth of expenses before you even start. And um, up to this point, I'm happy to announce as of this morning, we have received uh, 205000 of that. And so that that'll, that'll assist us in paying cash for everything, at least up until our celebration in May when we, when we break ground or bust a wall or whatever you do uh, at the uh, celebration. But thank you. Thank you for responding to that and, and doing that. Um, also, one thing we want to mention, this is the uh, end of the year, and many people are thinking about how they can be generous towards other people. And uh, just remember your church. We have a goal uh, this month of uh, 500000 for this. It's, it's the month when nonprofits really make the majority of what they basically live on uh, as a church. What we make in December uh, really dictates what, how the year really goes. And so remember your church and be, be generous. It's our largest giving month, but thank you for joining in with us and helping us meet that goal this month. And when we meet that goal that month, it really helps all of us who are leading and trying to stay faithful with the finances. Uh, it helps us to manage well the rest of the fiscal year. And so, man, if we could hit that, we would really, really appreciate that. So keep your church in mind uh, in this season, okay? All right, we're in a, season, a series this Christmas season, the next three weeks, and then leading up to Christmas Eve called... Heaven and Nature Sing. And we're going to be looking at four songs given by Luke. Now I want you to think about this for just a second. Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write a gospel. And today what we're going to be seeing is God is saying through Luke and through Mary, through Luke, something incredible for us to be a part of. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And we're in Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to read verse 46 to 55. The Holy Spirit leading Luke as he's writing his gospel that says that Mary wrote a song uh, and that's what we're going to be looking at. Verse 46 to 55. I want to read it through. Follow along with me. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant." For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time, and Lord, in this season, we are especially mindful that from all eternity and to eternity future, your plan for all of humanity 
was centered in the moment when your son would come to us to restore, to redeem, to rule, to reign, to reverse. All of this beautiful effect comes from you, the Lord Jesus. That's Christmas. Lord, as we meditate upon this song, guide our hearts, Holy Spirit, create in us what we're supposed to have. Help us to see what Mary saw, to glory in what she gloried in. Help us see you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today we, we start this Christmas series, we'll lead up to Christmas Eve. Um, does anyone here love Christmas music? Okay, you're with me um, because my, the staff knows that I love Christmas music very, very much. In fact, they're probably sick of it by now, and we just got to Christmas season. And, uh, but one, one thing that I do every year, and they kind of know this, is that I start playing Christmas music when the first cold front comes through and you actually have to turn your heater on in your car, you know, that morning, uh, whenever you have to do that and you feel chill in the air and you go, I, can, I think I can go long sleep now, you know, well, that's October, right? And uh, that's pre-Halloween, pre-Thanksgiving, all of it. I just shatter it all and I just go straight to Mariah Carey because I'm a Christian. <laughs> just want you to know that Mariah Carey is the best. Um, but how many of you love the, the, the classics? You know, the classics are my favorite. The new stuff, you know, it's got to prove itself, right? Uh, All all the classics have proven themselves. They lasted the test of time, and they're for good reason. They have. And I love the classics. And if you do too, it's probably because it takes you back, right? It it, it produces nostalgia. It produces uh, feelings that you may have felt when you were a kid or when you first heard it or when you listened to these songs. It takes you to these moments, and those moments typically are happy moments for you as a child uh, around a tree with a hot cup of something in front of a fire, and you're there, and you're just like, yes, you know? Uh, Well, that's me. That's why I really like it. Well, today, today, we are going to be looking at the original classic Christmas song. It was written as it was happening. It was written by Mary. It's called the Magnificat. That's just a Latin phrase meaning my soul magnifies the Lord. It's taken from that phrase in the Greek. It's made Latin and it's called the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, says Mary here. And it's a, it's a song. It's a, a text. It's, a, it's poetry. Um, but it's also p- prophetic. Uh, it's a culmination of a lot of things happening in a linguistic uh, form here, and it's a declaration, it's an eruption. And here, here's the thing we're looking at, is that Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing of the coming of Christ, the Lord guiding him to say, what shall we include, determined that the coming of Christ in helping people understand the big picture of what was taking place, within 64 verses... The last part of chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, the Holy Spirit led Luke to include in the narration of the birth of Christ four songs by four different people, four different groups, four different angles that say four different things. 
And it's a beautiful place. Now, here's what I think that means. What that means is this. Here's what Luke wants us to know by putting four songs in 64 verses of the, 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 the account of Christ coming to the earth. Here's what he wants us to know. Here's the picture. When Christ comes, it produces an eruption of multiple things. Joy, rejoicing, celebration, song, glory, prophetic utterances. Um, when the Christ comes to the earth, it erupts, it causes an eruption of art, passion, expression, glory. I want you to get that sense. That's what Luke is trying to get us to see. Christ comes in an eruption of song. And we're going to look at those songs. And I hope that as we look at these songs, that we wouldn't just listen to them or study them, but that we would join them in our hearts. Glory in what they glory in. See what they see. Feel what they felt. Let the Spirit of God produce that in us and let us join in. That's the ultimate goal for this series. And we're starting today with the Magnificat of Mary. It's three things I want to look at from this text that we read. One is the catalyst. What began, what began this song? What happened that produced this song? The second thing is the content. What's in the song? I'm just making sure the slides are actually behind me. So sorry for me being distracted a little bit there. But the content, what is in the song itself? If you want to get to know what was happening in Mary, then you need to pay attention a little bit to what she's saying, what she's singing. And I want us to get into that, the content. And then the call. Why is it there? Why does God have that song there? And what does that mean for us? It is a call, and we'll look at what that is. So first the catalyst. What caused this song to happen? Well, we know a good song is written from an experience, right? The most powerful songs that move us the most, uh, the most are, are re- usually written by people who have very powerful experiences that, are, that feel over, overwhelming. Y'all know Adele? Um, I remember her, she, she wrote that song, Someone Like You. But that song actually came from what she said was a, um, something that happened in her life. One of the guys she was dating totally crushed her soul. And she was in the pit of despair, and she wrote that song. And that song happened to be the one that propelled her into global fame. I, you would think it's her voice, right? Well, she had that voice before she was famous. She could, I think she could sing the phone book. And you're going to be like, that's awesome, right? Um, but... It was this song written at a deep, dark place of pain that she expressed on a page. She wrote this song out, began to put it to words, and that was the, what propelled her onto the global scene as a singer all over the world. Um, that's a good song. Why? Because it comes from a place of experience. And people are invited into that experience with you and they, and they can understand it and they feel what you felt and they and they. And they, they involve themselves in the song with you. Now, that is, that is what a song is supposed to do. Well, Mary writes a song from an experience. 
She writes a song from perhaps the greatest sense of elation a human being can experience this side of heaven. There is nothing greater like that you can experience than, to, than what she experienced in this moment with this, this angel. You know, and I think that none of us can really comprehend the degree of elation that she felt. Even when we're trying to get into the song with her, the Spirit of God assisting us, it might, we might fall short because we're just not experiencing that specific thing that she was given. I would say, let's assume you won that billion-dollar lottery. What happens in your heart? I mean, even if you can just imagine it, if, if it really happened to you, you would feel things that you can't, that you would feel that even if you imagine it, you can't feel, right? It, it, but if you can imagine what it must do to your heart if you won the billion-dollar lottery and tithe, which, by the way, just don't throw that in there, uh, what would that do to your heart? It makes you think on all kinds of different paradigms. It's it just, it just a, a hugely overwhelming moment for you. Well, that experience would be nothing in comparison to what Mary received. Nothing. Five years, nobody cares who you are. You're dead. The money goes to somebody else. It's, it's insignificant, the fact that you won a billion dollars. Mary is given the jackpot of eternity. You can't even imagine what she is receiving in this moment when she writes this song. It's so great, it's hard to even understand. But notice when she erupts in the song. It's actually not after the angel meets with her. Okay, so y'all know the story. The angel meets with her and he begins to, to tell her that she's chosen of God, that she will birth the Messiah, the Holy Spirit will cause her to be with child. And that child will be the son of God. And that she has this task that she is going to be a part of. And she is chosen by God for this very thing in this very moment. Then it says that the angel departed from her. And it doesn't say she sang a song. It doesn't happen like that. Because in the angel's presentation to her, the angel said to her, oh, and by the way, and I think this is very important, Elizabeth is with child also. Mary knows Elizabeth is barren. Never had a child her whole life and now she's way past the age of being able to have, have a child. And the angel says to her, she's with child. And far along. And he says that for a reason. Well, what does Mary do with that? Mary has that experience with this angel. She says, let it be to me as you have said. I am with it. I, I, I don't understand the spirit you know, conception thing. I don't, I don't understand what you're, I don't, this is very blowing my mind. I don't get it comprehensively. I don't understand what you're saying, but I, I say, let it be so to me. I yield. I submit. Then it says a time, that in that time, she goes where? To Elizabeth. And something happened in her encounter with Elizabeth that is powerful. What happened? Elizabeth hears her voice, her greeting, and John the Baptist, who is in her womb, leaps, and she felt it like only a mother would kind of know. Oh, there's a special leap, not like the other ones, right? Uh, this one, a little bit higher into the rib, right? 
uh, whatever it might be. But he leaps, right? He leaps, and she knows this is different. This is different. And all of a sudden it says that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment, and she declares something to Mary and basically says, Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So that the Father, the Lord, would deem me worthy that the mother of my Lord would come to me. Now think about the Trinitarian statement that Elizabeth just proclaimed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord saw me worthy that the mother of my Lord would come to me. Like the, which is the, the Lord out here or the Lord in the womb? Like which is the, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know it all, but by the Spirit I say it. Right? Uh, and this is what she declares over Mary. And in that moment, Mary hears this declaration, blessed is she who believes. Blessed is she who believes from Elizabeth. And what happens to Mary then? Mary hears all of this, and what does she do? It erupts. A song. Why? I think it's because she had confirmation. Elizabeth is pregnant. That's impossible. That's a miracle. The angel said it was so. I must not be crazy. This must be totally real. This is, this is too good to be true. And now I have, like, like I, can, I can feel the confirmation of it in a person, in, in a moment. And here it comes. The total faith. Over here we had mental assent. Maybe this is so. Okay, I'm with it. I don't understand it, but I'm with it. But here I have flesh and bone confirmation this is true of me and I can't handle it and I am just erupting here with some powerful things that are going on in my heart and that is the catalyst and by the way why does it happen not after the angel left her but only when she sees Elizabeth one point I'll make here when the Lord is always revealing things to you about himself he will always lead you into interdependence with others in his family, not lead you away from it in an isolated moment. He will lead you to it. Uh, let me give you an example from the hip. Uh, Paul is converted, can't see, and what happens to him? God says, no, you have to go over here to see this other man who's going to pray for you, and then you're going to get your sight back. Why would God determine that? Why would he just give him his sight back? Well, he's going to lead us to interdependence. When he is engaging with us, he's going to lead us to the church. He's going to lead us to his family. He's going to bring us in. And, and here Mary goes to Elizabeth, and then a great eruption takes place from the connection of the two. And this is how God works, it seems. But the catalyst for this moment is Mary experiencing something that she can't handle, and, and, and she can't keep in, and she puts it on a page. If God were to meet with you this morning, and wanted to speak to you, to confirm something to you, to let you know about something, and he wanted to do it through someone in this family, where would he be taking you? What would he be saying to you? Every time you come to church, <laughs> have your radar on, because he's working, and he's working through each one of us to each one of us, and he does that all the time. It has happened thousands of times in my life. And there's confirmation given. There's, oh, you are saying something very similar to what I was thinking the other day. And here's God. And he works that all the time. He will lead us to greater interdependence in community. And he will work through others to 
fuel your knowledge and, and, and understanding of who he is and how he's working. So what would he be saying today to you? It's a good question to ask every time you come to church, but today particularly. Then the content of the text. If you want to know what happened, why Mary was so overwhelmed in this moment, and she erupts into this song, you need to listen to what she says in the song. If you want to know Adele's pain, listen to the song, and it'll be expressed, and you'll hear the content of what she was battling and what, what, what hurt she was struggling with. If you want to be into the glory of what Mary's feeling, then listen to what she's saying. Listen to what she wrote. Listen to this declaration, and let's get into it. But let's look at what she says from her heart. First, he, God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. You know what that is? That's a person in Mary, and Mary is saying, I cannot believe that God chose me. She saw herself as the least the least qualified. I'm a nobody from Nazareth. I literally see myself that way. I know I am that way. I am poor, poverty-stricken. I am not uh, impressive by any state of, of the imagination. I, why me? What, what, what is it about me? And God does actually tell her, but he said he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. This is how God works, it seems. Only those who think of themselves as unworthy become worthy. <laughs> Serious way he works here. For behold, and then she, she says this. It's hitting her. The glory of what she sees, what does she see? From now on, all generations will call me blessed. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Let's unpack some things here. Mary goes, if this is true, and it is, and this is going to happen in my life, the Messiah is going to come, and he is going to do some glorious things on the earth. So there's going to be a, an eruption of all kind of goodness, and stuff being reversed and, and redeemed, and all kinds of stuff. He's going to rule, he's going to reign, and all these things are going to happen. I'm going to be world-renowned. My name is a key figure in what happens through this person. And generation after generation, a hundred years from now, a hundred years after that, a hundred years after that, people are going to know my name and they are going to call me blessed that I had such a key role in God's most critical move that he's ever made in all of human history and I was a key factor. I want you to think about that for just a second. When Mary said this, it was only a prophetic utterance that she would not even see fulfilled in her lifetime. Does that, does that make sense? She will die not seeing this actually fulfilled. No, not, she did not see generation after generation and all these people calling her blessed at the time. Apologetically speaking, Luke is writing this gospel account, this Greek text that we get. The earliest Greek text we get, even if, if someone wrote it later that said that Mary said that because they see the effect of the Messiah on the earth and they see how people are really calling Mary blessed and then they wrote that she said that. Let's just assume that that's, it's not true, but let's assume, let's just go with that. It's still, these, these texts are, and I'm sorry I'm getting a little seminary with you, just hang on with me. Second century, you're not even talking 100 years. 
100 years after Mary was dead, this can't even be fulfilled. It's not really fulfilled yet. You know what you and I have? We can go through 2,000 years down the path where we are. Sorry if you lighting guys or whoever. Um, and we can look back down through the quarters of history. And you know what we see? The fulfillment of this text from herself. The prophecy generation after generation after generation after generation. Namely, for 2,000 years, every Christmas, who are we looking at? Mary. We get to see God's fulfillment to Mary, even when she didn't get to see it. What an incredible gift. And we get to glory in the reality of it coming forth more than she could. If you this morning have thought about Mary and thought about what a privilege it is to birth the Son of God, you are part and involved in God's work of fulfilling to Mary the prophecy he, he gave to her 2,000 years ago. You are a part of that. And he's doing it now in you and me with that. Is that not great? Will God's word stand? Is he faithful to his promise? Absolutely. Mary had nothing to count on to know that that would be true other than it's a promise and it's probably going to happen. It's going to happen. You and I get to see the reality of it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing that God has done. And he's still doing it and he continues to do it. And he'll do it to eternity. Mary is called blessed. Her text is fulfilled. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Another text. Generation to generation. Guess what God's still doing? Generation to generation. He will give mercy to those who fear him. He'll do it today. He did it a thousand years ago. He did it 1400 years ago. He did it in Mary's day. He will do it today. He will give mercy to those who fear him always. Okay, that's a powerful statement. It's a prophecy Mary declared. It's still happening to this day. Generations come and generations go. But what is consistent in all of them is that God gives mercy to those who fear him. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts. The Lord loves the lowly. And he loves to take the lowly of the earth from human standards and elevate them to a place of prominence in his kingdom. That is how he works. Most common way he works is to take those of humble status according to earthly standards, and to elevate them into place of significance in his kingdom as key figures. It says he has scattered the proud in their thoughts. For a Hebrew, for God to scatter, for you to scatter, is a military language kind of thing. God goes on the attack and the enemy is scattered. Y'all have heard that in the Old Testament all over the place. I mean, that is how a Hebrew would think about the word scattered. That I would come in offense, and, and not only would they be in defense, they'd be on retreat. Because you're so powerful, you're so overwhelming, and they can't defeat you, and they would flee and scatter. Okay, This is the language that Mary says that in the Messiah of God coming to the earth, he is putting the proud in their hearts, scattering them. He is putting them on their heels, he is putting them on the retreat. 
in the coming of the Messiah. Interesting. James says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. What does it mean by proud? It is a person, a human being, that does not acknowledge God. It's an anti-God spirit intrinsic within them because of sin on the earth. It is a rebelliousness to God that manifests itself in all kinds of ways. But the pride in their heart means this, that I myself have taken the place of God in my life. That's the proud. And it starts there and it manifests itself in all kinds of ways. God is putting an end to that spirit. How is he doing it? Christmas. That's what Mary says. This is the beginning of the reversal of the anti-God spirit in the hearts of men starting now. He has brought down the mighty. God did that in Pharaoh. And isn't it interesting how God did that? Started off with like crickets and frogs and stuff like that. And drove them nuts. And they were like, okay, 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 go worship your God. Get the crickets out of my house, right? I mean, can you get an amen on the gnats in Texas? Anyway, um, gnats and stuff. But God is doing this through the Messiah. God is bringing down the powerful, unjust, proud oppressor on the earth. Mary is saying that's what this king coming is all about. If you want to know what Christmas is all about, it is about God coming in weakness and God beginning something where he topples the regimes of the earth to bring them to their knee before him. That is Christmas. That's what Mary is saying. And then he says this, The rich he has sent away empty. First, let me go back and see this. Bringing down the mighty. Let me make this point. Oh, holy night. You love that song? I love it. And it's because I'm a Christian. When Mariah Carey sings it, it's uh, special. All right? Anyway. Uh, but I want you to listen to the last portion that John Dwight wrote in the mid-1800s. He took it from a French poet and then transferred it over to English and, and wrote in a particular context, and it's absolutely, absolutely appropriate that it's in there. And I hope that you know what you're singing when you sing that last portion of O Holy Night. And if you don't, then do it now. Sing it with all your heart, know what it means, and sing it with all your heart and join in in it. And here's what it is. Truly, he taught us to love one another. Why has he come? So that we'll love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. Special context for the 1800s, but that's what Christmas means. For the slave is our brother, and he'll break those chains, and he'll end this institution forever. Praise God. Cruel, oppressive, terrible actions that are being taken. Everyone feels debilitated by it. You can't get out of it. People are supporting it, and you want it down. You want it down because it's cruelty to human beings, and you want it down, and it's not going down, and yet Christ comes and will before us and others and brings it down. God topples that whole enterprise. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name, Jesus Christ, all oppression shall come to an end. It shall cease. 
He will do this on the earth. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. What are we praising? We're praising that he is bringing his enemies to an end. And he is reversing the end of God's spirit on the earth. He is doing it. If you want a real Christmas song, it needs to be a whole lot more than chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Although I absolutely love that song. And I listen to it a thousand times next to an open fire. But no chestnuts roasting. I don't know. i got to get to that. But Christmas, according to Mary, is about justice coming to the earth and the end of oppression, light and life and liberty and love. All of those things coming from him. And he's coming. The rich he has sent away empty. If there was a line of people, I want you to just imagine it for me. The rich he has sent away empty. What does that mean? If, if the world could gather together and the world's going to meet with God and God's going to form a line, kind of like Santa, right? He's going to form a line right over here. All the rich and the powerful would use all their influence and their resources to get to the front of the line. And they would create a line. And who's in the back? That joker ain't got nothing. He just got tucked in the end, Right? Here's what God does according to Mary. God stands up from his throne. He walks to the back of the line. And he starts fellowshipping, embracing, loving, having conversation. That's our God. He starts at the back of the line. What does he do at the front of the line? He left them. Why is God like that? Why is God like that? Because it's those at the end of the line, typically, who has hearts that will truly receive him. They have hearts that they know full well that they have nothing to offer God. In fact, they probably shouldn't be in line. They know full well that they should be in the back of the line. They have hearts that know full well their egregious sins to him and they're undeserving of any interactions with him and they know that full well. Now that heart, that heart, now that's who God comes to. And he did it in Mary. These are those God seeks. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. God is coming through in the Messiah. From Genesis 3, he shall crush his head, he shall crush your heel. Prophecy to all of humanity. All of humanity. I will end this through a deliverer. Someone born of woman, and he will come, and he will end all of this. And he'll end our ultimate enemy, and he will end it, and he will rule, and he will reign. That was in Genesis chapter 3, first prophecy after the fall. Then he goes to Abraham, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Israel got his law. Israel birthed the Messiah. The Messiah came through the Jew. Now he has come and he has spread the blessing of Israel, the covenant of grace beyond them to all the world, fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. Another thing we get to see happen real time in our world right now. He has helped his servant. The coming of the Messiah is, he promised it. We've been waiting for it. Here he is. Here he is. Mary's song is a song that screams to everyone on the earth, get down low. 
Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let the strong and the powerful humble themselves before the Lord Almighty. Let the self-righteous, judgmental, religious person come to an end of their own righteousness, to see themselves as the worst of sinners and experience God today. You know, religion says good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. That's religion. That's not the gospel. The gospel says proud people go to hell. Humble people receive heaven. See, it's not sin. Sin's been dealt with on the cross. God's dealt with sin. That's not the main barrier. The barrier is pride. Pride. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Let the wealthy idolater who trusts in riches as their God forsake that and trust the King of kings and the Lord of lords and experience God. Let the rich say, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Without God, you have nothing. Let everyone praise the Lord who says in 1 Corinthians that he chooses what is foolish of the world to shame the wise, chooses the weak of the world to shame the strong. He chooses what is lowly and despised and the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And why does he do it that way? So no human boasts before him. And how has he done this? Christmas. Christmas. Christmas is a declaration of war on a sinful world. He has come, and he will rule, and he will reign forever. Christmas is God's first move on the chess set, and he has promised he will get to checkmate. We're just in the game right now. Christmas is God's Normandy. Jesus, when he came in the flesh, stormed the beach. But Victory Day is coming. We're just in the process right now. Christmas is God conquering the rebellion of humanity to himself through weakness. This is what God has done. This is what God continues to do today. And this is what God will finish. This is how he works, says Mary. That's the content. Don't worry. The call is a lot quicker and you will be out for lunch, okay? The call. What do we do with this and why is it there and what does God want us to do with it? The call. My son's birthday was a few weeks ago. And... Um, like a great son with the last name of Fashan. He's an LSU fan as well. He's inherited that from his dad. And we love LSU football, even though they're bad now. We're still in. We're still in. We lost the other day. Okay, so I'm going to get off that. But he, uh, we had a friend come to us and say, hey, would Will like for his birthday, which is in November, to have field passes to the Texas A&M LSU game? We were like, is the Pope Catholic? I mean, what do you, I'll move heaven and earth to be in that if it's available. Uh, and I, but we did say that, you know, we want to be responsible parents, so we would not want to send him by himself. Uh, we fear for his danger and his behavior, and I would need to make sure that I'm there to monitor that situation. 
but yes, uh, we would lo- I know he would love that. That would be the birthday gift of, of all time, right? And we had a blast. One thing I experienced was A&M. Uh, I've been there before, but this time it's different. I was on the field, and it's much, much different. I want to give you a little taste of it, okay? So you Aggies, just cool your jets for just a second. All right, when this plays, don't jump up and holler, okay? Watch, I want you to watch this video. I took it uh, from the end zone, from the field. Man, we are about to get killed. That's what I felt. And that video, you can't, you can't feel what I felt in that. I'm on the, I'm telling you, the ground is, I mean, it's, and, and you feel the noise through your bones, right? If Aggies woo, this is your moment, all right? This is intimidating stuff. And also, Aggies are very um, rhythmic. Like, they, they get it. You see those towels? Those towels are, and I'm telling you, it's loud, it's forceful, they're all in sync, and it's really, really impressive. Even though I want LSU to win, I'm like, man, that is cool. And then at one point in the game, they put their arms around each other. Tell me what the song is. I'm not an Aggie. The what? What's it called? I'm sorry. I'm getting a bunch of stuff. I don't know. The Eyes of Texas. Okay. Oh! Woo! Man, I just, just fed it up to you. And you're just like, man, I got to but they sing the song and they put their arms around each other and they sway like this. And that's, no, it's not the eyes of Texas. It's something else. But what is it? War him. The war him. The Aggie war him. And they put their arms around each other and they sing this hymn while they're rocking back and forth. And I'm telling you, the whole place is moving in total unison. And I'm thinking those, this stadium is going to fall because the weight is just doing like, uh, it's, it's really crazy to watch. But I was just even there. I'm even in awe of looking at it uh, from an opposing standpoint. I'm like, man, like, that's cool. Why do they sing that song like that? They rap each other. They sing that war hymn. They're Aggies. And they're singing together. And you know what? I even felt it as an LSU fan. It did something in my heart. Not becoming an Aggie or anything. I'm just letting you know it, it touched me. But their hearts, what does it do to their hearts? I want you to think about this. Because that song is meant for more than just them to see the words on a screen somewhere. That song is for them to feel and to fellowship in and to glory in and to have something in their hearts filled to the full called pride. But it's theirs, right? And they feel this pride of being an Aggie, and it's, and, it's, and it's moving. How many of you have been in a concert or maybe at a, fo- a football game, basketball game, and they play Don't Stop Believing," right? I don't even know if that's the title. And you know what? I looked it up. That song has nothing to do with sports whatsoever. But yet everybody pulls out their phones, and they turn the light on, or you raise your lighter. We don't do lighters anymore, right? Uh, don't have, nobody has them. So they do the phone light, and they pull the phone out, and they, they wave it back and forth. Don't stop believing. You know what you're doing? You're entering into someone's experience that they had when they wrote that song 
about believing, about continuing on and persevering, and you're joining in, you're raising your light, and you're joining into the fellowship of the crowd at a, whatever a concert or whatever, and that song is reaching its end goal by all of the people rallying together, fellowshipping in it, raising their light, and singing it together, and letting, and letting it do something in all their hearts together. Why Mary's song? Why is it in the Bible? It's not just to be memorized. It's not to be studied. It's not even there to necessarily give us doctrinal structures. It's there to produce something in you. It's there to call you to light your light. Light your light. Open your heart. Sing. Hear what she's singing. Sing it with her. Feel with her. What she sees is glorious. See it is glorious and glory in it with her. And when you do, something will happen in your heart that Christmas is supposed to do in your heart. It's supposed to light your fire in your soul and remind you of some great things and remind you that he has come and he, has, he is coming. You have hope. You feel like you're out and God can't use you. He can use you. He can use anyone to use Mary. All of these things should flood your heart when you sing these songs. The appropriate songs at Christmas, the Messiah has come. The call to any of these songs, the call to all of these songs, is to raise your light. Glory in it. May Christmas be a moment where we glory in the song of Christ with Mary. Each week, let your heart be full and sing it. Sing it. Feel it. Let us enter in and let our souls magnify the Lord with her to see what she sees, feel what she feels, and let hope fill your heart full, full, full this Christmas. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for this song. We thank you for the vision of your word. We, 2,000 years later, get to actually see much of the fulfillment of what you told people then. It's beautiful in our eyes, Lord. We feel the delight in our hearts. Holy Spirit, assist us. Give us that vision and the glory of Jesus Christ coming to the earth, ruling as king, toppling his enemies. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is true. It is happening. It is happening right now in our world. Fill our hearts with these things and help us glory in them and sing them and be satisfied and be filled with hope. Lord, speak to us during this response time. Minister to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me all across the room for this song? And uh, let's just ask the Lord to minister to us.